Hour number two of the Jim Rome Show. I am Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim here on this leap day, this Thursday, February the 29th. Give us a phone call, 1-800-636-8686. You can find us on X. Hit up the show at Jim Rome. Find me at Trent Rush Sports. Also, send us an email, rome at haveatake.com. Want to get to some of the clones uh, coming up a, a little bit later on here in the show. Because, look, that's what, that's what this is all about, right? It's you guys. It's you guys. And I'm happy to be sitting in for the legend Jim Rome today. But the reality is, is I'm just one, I'm one of you guys, right? We're all in this together. You guys are the show. I'm glad that I can kind of play some traffic cop here today. But you guys are what make this thing happen. So uh, hit us up, clones, at Trent Rush Sports, at Jim Rome. Rome at haveatake.com. Great way to do that. I was, re- you know, that was really fun. The last segment, uh, for those that maybe just joining us now, we had Richard Patino on. He's the head coach at New Mexico. Talk a little bit about Mountain West basketball and what New Mexico is doing. How about the fact that Mountain West right now with six teams in the top 45 for the net that are, you know, looking like they might get six teams in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they will, by the way. I think that if they have six teams that deserve to get in, it means they'll probably get four. You know, maybe they get five. But, you know, you have six teams that may be able to, to make a pretty compelling case for why they belong. I know that that has really upset some folks in ACC country. And for whatever reason, man, ACC basketball fans, like they, like they are having a hard time these days because, you know, you're picking fights with the Mountain West. I mean, the, the Mountain West, for goodness sakes. Like, can we not just enjoy the fact that this conference of mid-majors where nobody else, you know, none of these schools have, like, crazy money to fund their program. Like, yes, San Diego State was in the national championship last year, and Brian Dutcher has done an awesome thing, and, you know, Steve Fisher built it, and, and Dutch has continued that. It's really cool what's happening at San Diego State. But, you know, we were talking about San Diego State as, like, this lowly mid-major that somehow, like, snuck in to the national championship game, they're really good. And New Mexico's really good. And Colorado State is really good. And Nevada's really good. And Utah State's really good. Like, there are all these teams on the West Coast. Like, you you look at Arizona. I think that they're the cream of the crop out West. I think that you look at Washington State, who's beat Arizona twice. They've been pretty good out West. But then you're looking at a bunch of Mountain West teams. And for whatever reason, ACC folks have had a, a huge issue with that. They feel like maybe the, the Mountain West, if they get six in, that's going to steal some ACC bids. I can assure you of this. The Mountain West is not going to be taking bids from the ACC. That's just not what happens when Selection Sunday comes around. And if your team is really that qualified to get in, well, then you'll make sure that you are set up appropriately. That being said, you know you also talk about – Man, oh man, the fights that, that ACC fans are picking with the Big 12 these days. Everybody, coaches are getting involved in this. Everybody's getting upset at the Big 12 and their schedule manipulation, which does bring up, I think, a fascinating issue. And that in college basketball, this net ranking, which is, I will say, an improved version of the RPI. It's not a lot better, but it's a little bit better. And they take into account like your efficiency numbers, like the advanced metrics. So... If you are, you know, uh, if you're Duke, 
you can go schedule some Division two or Division three opponent. Actually, I guess it has to be D1 to really count. But you could, you could take, like, Duke could play Detroit Mercy and beat them by 75 points and go up, like, 10 spots in the net. Whereas, you know, North Carolina could go play UConn and win by two and maybe only go up like four spots in the net. Like, like that's the kind of stuff that's been happening. And when you play 30 plus games and it just keeps getting multiplied in the non-conference, the, the Big 12 was able to rack up a bunch of wins by playing a lot of nobodies. And through that, we're able to kind of inflate their whole conference numbers. I, I think to a certain extent, I think the Mountain West is, is pretty inflated numbers for a lot of teams, but, but they played some national schedules too. And, you know, UNLV beat Creighton, who's a, who's a top team in the Big East. I, I think you, you look at that kind of stuff, and it's interesting to see how scheduling and the details matter because everybody's trying to figure out the math, right? And we had Mike Gold Jr. on earlier, and he was trying to figure out – how these players that are getting ready for the NFL Combine are trying to, in some ways, like game the system a little bit, right? You're trying to, okay, so if this is the SAT that you're prepping for at the Combine, you got to do all this stuff to get ready for it. You're 40 times right. You're verts right. You have the right answers in these interviews. In college basketball, it's much of the same. Whereas you have these coaches that are trying to schedule and try to figure out, okay, who's is that going to be a quad two game or is that a quad three game? Uh-oh, they have to win to make sure that they don't drop from a quad one to quad two. And, and you're trying to decipher all of this stuff and this extra noise and the metrics. So where you have that number beside your name that puts you in the NCAA tournament. That's what all of this is about. And I know that there are a lot of ACC fans in particular kind of leading the charge on this, crying foul about what's happening in the Big 12 and picking on the little brother in the Mountain West. You know, I'm going to stick up for my Mountain West guys. Let's let's back off a little bit because I think that is some pretty good basketball that's out there. The other part about this, too, and I think this is where you get emotion that you just is unmatched in college basketball. Like, did you see that kid? I think it was, uh, I want to say it was Texas Tech that literally got pulled out by like five security guards. And like, they had to get like the, the sheriff involved, to like, take this kid out of the game. And he was so amped up. But there is passion in college basketball, I think, because it, it is the best gambling sport there is. Like, I don't gamble on college basketball, I, I don't really gamble on any sports. And I tell you this because, and not that I'm trying to be, you know, all high and mighty. Like I will play, you know, some, some you know, little games here and there, and, and fantasy, you know, sports, and and I'll, I'll I'll be involved, but I'm not like looking up spreads and getting all of that involved on it because I think it's so impossible to predict, and that's the beauty of college basketball. It is unbelievably entertaining. I mean, we were talking about this with Richard in the last segment. How there was a game, Nevada at Colorado State two nights ago. Nevada's got this senior guard, Jared Lucas, who is a 92% free throw shooter, misses three of four free throws down the stretch, could have put the game on ice, doesn't do it, on the road at Colorado State, chokes, right? He choked. Colorado State goes, and their best guard, Stevens, ends up scoring on the other end. That ties the game. Instead, what does this Jared Lucas do? Well, he gets to half court, going off the wrong foot, and banks in a game-winning three at the buzzer. You don't get that in other sports. I know Struess had a a half-court game winner for Cleveland the other night, but you don't get the same kind of passion that you get in college basketball. It's different. I do think that the, the gambling component is an important part of that, but... And I think back to even my day is like one of my first jobs in broadcasting. I was calling Big West basketball games 
um, for ESPN3, which was ahead of its time. And at that time, it was a lot of like, wait, you watch the game on your computer? That doesn't make any sense. Like, my, like oh, my phone? I, my phone doesn't even get video. How does that work? It was, it was ahead of its time, but it was really fun doing that. And there would be times where, you know, as, as the broadcaster for the games, you go to shoot around and shoot around is, is like the, the practice before the game later. And, and you're watching the teams go back and forth and you can kind of figure out the injury report and you can kind of, you know, have an understanding of who's going to play, who's not, what the team sets are going to be like the guys calling the game, like the producer, the analyst and the, and the play-by-play guy are the three that are the only people that know exactly what's going on with both teams that day. So there would be times I'd be at like these little, I'd be at like a Cal State Fullerton or a Cal State Northridge where there was going to be about 17 people at the game, but like 10 of them would be, or at least a couple would be waiting outside shoot around, like trying to get a scoop like that, that kind of stuff would happen. You know, again, we're talking 10 plus years ago that this stuff was going on. And and I don't know that if it is or isn't now, I haven't seen it, but those are the kind of things that everyone's looking for an edge. And in college basketball, especially at the mid-major level, you feel like you have a chance to get an edge. And on a bigger picture scale, the more you understand about the little guy and trying to discover Cinderella early in the season, when you come March, don't you look like the smartest guy in the room when you're filling out your bracket and you get that bracket sleeper? Isn't that what everybody's pulling for? Like, nobody wants chalk. Which and, and and last year there was no chalk, which was actually awesome. You know, when you had Florida Atlantic doing their thing, Florida Atlantic was actually good, by the way. It's not just you know, it's not just some kind of fluke. San Diego State was good, not just some kind of fluke. UConn, who went under the radar with a five seed, UConn has been one of the best teams in basketball this year. I don't know why we have to wait till March. Like, like the college game is so much fun because it is so unpredictable. It is so wild. These guys play hard. They don't always play smart, but in so many ways, it's more entertaining. And if I'm going to offer one piece of advice for when the calendar turns to March tomorrow and you're trying to figure out what that bracket is going to look like, the advice I will give you here, go old, man. Go old. Pick the old teams. We are in this era of NIL and transfers where these mid-major programs, when you're trying to discover Cinderella, you might find some, some young Cinderellas that have star freshman talent, but maybe one of those teams sneak through, but the good veteran players are at the major programs because the mid-majors have essentially become the minor leagues for the power conferences. I mean, the Mountain West is a, a true exception to that, but you're also looking at top talent is coming into these lower-level programs because the bigger programs are so busy trying to poach the best freshmen and sophomores from across the country. They want the proven commodity that's coming to their programs. So I, I look at like UConn is an old team. Purdue, they're an old team. Arizona is an old team. Houston is a, a kind of old team. North Carolina, super old. I think they're the sixth oldest team in the country when it comes to Division One experience. Like these teams, like these old teams are going out and they are essentially buying whoever is the top underclassman at a mid major. And those players are producing. So when I'm looking for the NCAA tournament, I'm looking at continuity. I'm looking at having that Division One experience. Like that kind of stuff is going to matter. I mean, you have a couple exceptions, like Duke is super young, Washington State is super young. Those are two good teams that are young teams. But I also look at like UCLA and Louisville, 
who are two of the youngest teams in the country, they're not good. Like, Mick Cronin, to his credit, has taken, I think, for two-thirds of the season, maybe the worst UCLA basketball team I've ever seen and made them competitive here in the last third of the year. And and, and that's an incredible coaching job by Mick Cronin because UCLA just doesn't have the talent. They're super young. Louisville's super young. These old teams are going to be teams that make a difference in the NCAA tournament. And you're seeing more parity now, I think, in the regular season because of all these like stud freshmen. Like even, even New Mexico has his forward, JT Toppin, who could be an NBA guy. He, he, he no matter what like, like maybe he stays at New Mexico, but it would take like a, a downright miracle for a player like JT Toppin to stay at New Mexico because, you know, Arizona's gonna be after this guy, of course. Like like Duke and North Carolina are probably gonna be in on this guy. Kansas is probably gonna be in on this guy. Because if he doesn't go to one of those places, the league is gonna be calling on this guy. This was a three star prospect that Richard Patino was on really early and was able to get him to New Mexico and he makes his commitment. He goes there, but then has a breakout season. I don't know how you keep that guy. Like like it, it, it would really take a bona fide miracle to do that. So considering that, and, and that kind of situation is happening a lot of different places in college basketball. So you're going to have some sleeper Cinderella teams that end up making some noise because they have a lot of talent. But for me, when I'm trying to figure out what my final four is going to look like, what my sweet 16 is going to look like, I'm picking old, man. That's how I'm going. San Diego State last year, of all the teams in the sweet 16, Who was the oldest team? It was San Diego State. And they're old again, and they're good again. I don't know that San Diego State's going to have another run to the NCAA Tournament Championship game, but I I like old veteran teams that have continuity. I think another reason why you've seen so many upsets in college basketball feels like this year more than ever, because a lot of these teams that were put together through the NIL over the summer, there's no continuity there. There's no consistency there. I mean, what these coaches are being asked to do is really tough. Constantly trying to raise money, buy a roster. I mean, at some point, there's going to have to be like some general managers. Like, like we are headed to pro sports. Like, college sports are becoming pro sports. And now here we are in this time where there's so much chatter about NCAA tournament expansion and trying to add to it and how to have more teams in and take it from 68 to 96 and, and let everybody in. The college basketball regular season is awesome. I know everyone just cares about March, but please can we not dilute the regular season even more and just let every power conference program is because that's what expansion really means. Expansion does not mean that we're going to allow better teams into the tournament. You're getting good teams. You're getting the best teams. And at 68, if you're not one of the 68, like there's going to be a handful of teams that feel like they got hosed. But if it goes to 96, there's still going to be a handful of teams that feel like they got hosed. All expansion would do would be to allow underperforming, underwhelming power conference teams more spots in the NCAA tournament. And that in itself is reducing the magic of what makes that tournament so special. I mean, people that, that watch college basketball from the start of the season, the first week of November up until now – You're still talking about that one tournament every single day. It is a constant part of the conversation. Everybody is trying to get to the big dance. And it's so much fun when you do. But I also love the fact that there are some stakes that if you don't, if you're a power conference team and you don't make the tournament, 
I mean, you're going to have to pay for that. I like that. I like the stakes. I like the pressure that comes with it. And that's what makes these regular season games fascinating. And if you're not watching college basketball yet, tomorrow is March 1st. Get on it. And get on it now. And remember, when you're filling out your bracket, go old. All right. What a great time of year, man. You got college basketball going on. Spring training. Baseball is here. Maybe I'm the only hopeless romantic left when it comes to spring training baseball. We're going to get into what I think about the highest profile team in baseball right now is a team that I am preparing for to be disappointed once again. We'll explain when we come back. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim Rome today. This is the Jim Rome Show on CBS Sports Radio. We also want to let you know this. Get your phone out and search the Prize Picks app. It's on my phone right now. It's on the phone of everybody working on this radio show. Prize Picks is America's number one fantasy sports app with over 3 million members. For me, it's the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Unlike other apps on Prize Picks, it's just you against the numbers. You got one job. Pick more or less on two to six players and their daily stat projections. You can now win up to 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. Turn $10 into $1,000. Quick withdrawals and an enormous selection of players, sports, and stats. That's Prize Picks. Download the Prize Picks app today and use code ROME for a first deposit match of up to $100. $100? Who does that? That's code ROME. On Prize Picks for a deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Must be present in certain states. Visit PricePicks.com for restrictions and details. More of the Jim Rome Show after this on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Jim Rome Show. To all my friends and fans throughout, I have an announcement to make. Not only have I began a new chapter in my career with the Dodgers, but I also have begun a a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me, and I wanted everyone to know I am now married. I'm excited for what's to come, and thank you for your support. That was Shohei Otani who dropped that Literally in the middle of the night, that was like at midnight, that Shohei Otani dropped that note right there. Otani is married? We didn't even know he was dating anybody. Otani is married? This is unbelievable. My name is Trent Rush. Welcome you back here the Jim Rome Show. I'm sitting in for Jim today. And so a little bit about me. So... Part of what I did last, I'm getting set for my 10th season with the Angels. I'm one of the Angels broadcasters, team reporter. I've been around that organization now uh, for about you know, 10 years. So part of that is I have also been around Shohei Otani the last six. And I've been with Otani pretty much every day during the baseball season for the better part of a decade. And... I can't begin to describe to you how stunning this message was to me to read this morning. Now, look, I know that there are a lot of people in baseball that are like, man, Shohei is like this incredibly private guy. We don't really know a whole lot about him. We know he's got his dog. You know, obviously, he's you know the, the world's ultimate man of mystery. You know, he defers all that money and takes the deal with the Dodgers and trying to sort all of this out. And... The one thing that I will say about being around Otani as long as I was, I I don't know that much about the guy. 
I know how he would interact with his teammates at times. I know how he would be in the clubhouse at times. But when it comes to like actually getting to know this guy, I mean, there's nothing to know. Like, like I, I don't, I can't explain it. But like, I know Mike Trout's birthday. I know his kid's name. I know his wife's name. I, I've, I've met his parents. Like, there, there's something to like when you are a star of a team, like. You know, the reporters and, and the people that are around, like you get to know the families. Like I know the families of a lot of Angels players. I know nothing about Shohei Otani. And what's amazing to that is has anybody ever had more media scrutiny on them on a daily basis than this guy? I, I'll never forget out in, at, in Tempe, Arizona, the Angels spring training facility, very first spring training. It was 2018 when Shohei came over. And there were reporters that had come in from Japan and nobody had ever seen anything like this in baseball. The way that their ballpark sets up is like built into the side of a mountain that they call it the bluffs there in, in Arizona. And it's up against the side of a mountain and access was closed and fields were closed and you couldn't get anywhere. Except if you were to look up, there would be reporters perched on top of the mountain with telescope lenses for their cameras to just try to get a shot of Otani, just to get a glimpse of Otani. This is before he spent one day in the major leagues. This was happening, and this continued to happen because everybody wanted to see this guy. I'll never forget being so amazed. And I mean, it's like, you know, you, you, you cover baseball, you're around it. Okay, yeah, when the, when the guys are ready, you know, we'll, we'll talk to them and, and do your thing, and it's professional and all this. It was a different level of celebrity with Shohei Otani. The paparazzi, I mean that. It was like a paparazzi attack everywhere Otani went because there are people that are waiting outside the gates. There are people that are waiting at hotels. There are people at restaurants. Everywhere Shohei goes, there are seemingly people ready to take photos and to see this. And also through my job, I've gotten the chance to, to to connect with a lot of the the Japanese members of the media who I have a tremendous respect for, and they are really good at what they do, and they're really hungry and they're aggressive and, and going after everything they can with Shohei Otani. But all that being said, incredibly, incredibly respectful. I have a, a great appreciation for the Japanese media corps that covered Shohei Otani, but I talked to them; they didn't know either. These are people that are seeing. Everything there is to see about this guy's life that are desperately clinging on to any piece of information like, like, you know how big of a story Shohei's dog's name was in Japan? Like when he won the MVP and his dog showed up on the screen, you know how big of a story it was trying to figure out the dog's name in Japan? The text messages I was getting from people, and and I'm texting my sources, and they're like, man, we we don't know. It, It was amazing that Shohei Otani has been able to lead this unbelievable life of privacy. Now, everything that I know about Shohei and from what I have heard is that Shohei is one of those people that goes to the ballpark and comes home and sleeps a lot. There have been rumors of him sleeping like 12 plus hours routinely to like have his body recover and be and be good to go. And there's been some chatter of that. You know, his interpreter Ipe Mazahura is around a lot. You know, and, and and is helping Shohei more than more than just interpreting. I mean, he is he's there. I mean, in some ways, it's almost like having a bodyguard at all times. Like Ipe kind of has taken on that role to a certain extent, and 
it's just amazing to me that with all of the coverage and the press interest in every move this guy makes, no one even knew that he was dating. And then on a midnight drop, Shohei Otani just tells the world on Instagram that he's married. And here's what the the Instagram post looked like. It was white with black lettering, all in Japanese, and a little tiny corner picture of his dog on the bottom right of it, and the text that I just read you. Think about the wedding invitations that you've gotten, or think about the engagement announcements you've gotten. Has anybody not included a photo? We don't know anybody about this person. We don't know anything about this person. I've begun a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me. And I wanted everyone to know I am now married. That is no information. We know that it is a person from Japan. We don't know what this person looks like. We, we don't know anything about it. Shohei Otani has been able to lead this incredible life of privacy while simultaneously living in the most public spotlight. It's beyond fascinating to me what Otani has been able to do here and how he's been able to navigate this. And again, we don't know hardly anything about him. We know that, you know, he used to play video games with David Fletcher. We, we know that, you know, we'd see him around in the clubhouse interacting with the guys. He's very friendly and, and active and a good teammate and around the guys doing all that kind of stuff. I know that there's a narrative out there now that, that now that Shohei is a Dodger, now he's tight with his teammates. It was, he was that way with the Angels, too. That's just it's who Shohei is. But when it comes to the private life, I just I remember hearing some speculation like three or four years ago that there was like a softball player from Hawaii that somehow got linked to Shohei. Like like any of that meant anything, and it, it's it's to me to be able to see this kind of media scrutiny and, and having witnessed it up close and personal for six years, I was completely floored by this. I knew nothing about it, no idea he was dating anybody. For all I knew, he was going to the ballpark, going back to his apartment, sleeping, coming right back to the ballpark. Like, that's all Shohei Otani was doing, and he was singularly focused on that. And part of that singular focus and drive to, for greatness in Major League Baseball is how he's been able to accomplish greatness. And when Shohei Otani's a two-way player, he's the greatest player of all time. For Shohei, in three seasons... And I'm going to include the year he didn't win MVP, and Aaron Judge won it. Shohei should have won it in 2022. The last three seasons Shohei Otani has put together are the three greatest seasons this game has ever seen. Collectively, what Otani has been able to do as a pitcher and a hitter. It's different now that he's not going to pitch this year as he comes off of Tommy John surgery. But by all accounts, this is one of the world's most famous athletes. This is someone that attracts about it as as much media attention as anybody could. I like LeBron James doesn't hold a candle to Shohei Otani in terms of media scrutiny from a global perspective. I asked somebody who's more when, when Taylor Swift goes to Japan, who's more popular, Taylor Swift or Shohei Otani? And there was a lot of him and Han. Like it might not be Taylor Swift. Like Shohei is that big that in Japan like, Shohei is, is maybe bigger than Taylor Swift. That's how big Shohei Otani is over there. And he got treated as such here in the United States and just drops on us 
that he's married overnight. Like, I, I didn't mean, like, I, when I saw that this morning, I didn't mean to spend a whole segment on the show today talking about Shohei Otani being married, but it, it is beyond fascinating to me that someone this public could keep something like this this private and just gets dropped on us. To all my friends and fans throughout, I have an announcement to make. Not only have I begun a new chapter in my career with the Dodgers, but I have also began a new life with someone from my native country of Japan who is very special to me, and I wanted everyone to know I am now married. I'm excited for what is to come, and thank you for your support. You could not give less information if you tried. We know nothing about this person. That We know that this person is from Japan. That's it. Incredible how Shoei was able to keep it together. We're going to get a little bit deeper into this and the Dodgers coming up. I, I have some I have some, uh, some hot takes on the Dodgers. I'm looking forward to sharing coming up in a little bit. We'll talk with their beat writer, Fabian Ardaya, uh, in just a moment. Before we get to that, though. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show with guest hosts Trent Rush on CBS Sports Radio. Baseball season right around the corner. You got pitchers and catchers have been in camp for a couple of weeks or playing Cactus League and Grapefruit League games these days. Hey, baseball season is here. My name is Trent Rush sitting in for Jim Rome today. You can find me on X at Trent Rush Sports. You can find Jim at Jim Rome. Also, send us some emails. Rome at Habitake.com. We'll get to some of your phone calls as well. 1-800-636-8686. Talking to you clones. Hey, not all beef jerky is the same. Old Trapper's original old-fashioned teriyaki hot and spicy and peppered all come in four ounce bags so you can sample different flavors to find the best one for you ask for old trapper by name because no other jerky company compares old trapper what's your beef old trappers as good as it gets and speaking of as good as it gets we have an outstanding writer joining us now fabian ardaya who writes for the athletic covers the dodgers is with the dodgers in arizona fabian it's great to talk to you thanks for being with us what's the vibe like in dodgers camp these days well the vibe's crowded but also excited <laughs> I think a, the, the way that they sort of have phrased this from the beginning is like they, they very easily could have been entering the spring with sort of a focus on their neck because they won 100 games the last couple of years and lost in the first round. I think having the offseason they did has kind of changed the conversation a little bit to all of a sudden, like, all right, look at this team, look at these stars. Obviously, we'll see what it turns out like when they actually get on the field. But, yeah, that's been sort of the talk of camp is just all these new guys, Shohei Otani and Yoshinobu Yamamoto being at the front of that list. Well, you have to talk Otani, and how about the news that gets dropped on us overnight that Shohei yeah. Otani is now married? Was that something? Did that surprise his teammates? Yeah, I mean, uh, we haven't been to camp yet today just because it's a little bit of a night camp. But <laughs> knowing Shohei Otani, like this, of course, now after fact, it kind of makes the most sense. Uh, he's always been such a secret and private guy that if he was going to announce anything, he was probably going to be on Instagram just like he did when he announced he was signing with the Dodgers. So, yeah. Uh, I think it definitely caught everyone by surprise, but I guess that sort of is how Shohei Otani operates. Fabian, you covered the Angels when Shohei Otani was there the first time around, and have since uh, covered the Dodgers now for the Athletic, and you kind of got to see the differences. How has it been different watching the Otani attention now with the Dodgers compared to when he was in Anaheim? Yeah, I mean, it's magnified, uh, not just because of the team or the market size, you know, like they're technically in the same market, but it's not just because of that. I mean, it's because now he's a two-time MVP. Now he's 
got the richest contract in sports history. Like he is a face that's bigger than baseball in a lot of ways, and that's going to draw a lot of attention. It's going to make stuff like him getting married and out here on Instagram a news story more than it would have even when he was back with the Angels. Obviously, even knowing that he was a huge celebrity, so I think everything's just been magnified a bunch uh, since he's been a Dodger. I think. I think he's better equipped to handle it now also because he's been – this is six years of this. I think it's been a steady increase over the years, but I think he's shown that he's able to handle it. Fabian, you've also seen this Dodger franchise have remarkable success in the regular season and not have the success in the playoffs. And you alluded to getting swept out of the first round by the Diamondbacks last year. Well, this team has now gone out and spent a billion dollars – plus in the offseason to try to combat that Otani, Yamamoto, Tyler Glasnow, to try to you know now become the team in the postseason that they have been for several years now in the regular season. Do you feel like there's not just amplified attention, but amplified pressure to live up to what the front office was able to do over the winter? I think they were already kind of in a spot, even if they didn't make this offseason flash they did, where it'd be, Championship or bust is tough in baseball, just considering how like, the, baseball, the playoff structure and everything goes. But they were already kind of in that spot. Uh, the pressure was kind of ratcheted up that they kind of really needed to make a deep playoff run this uh, this October, and they're in that same spot, if not more. Now, I think I don't think it's possible, but like they're in that spot where they really have to come out of the season with a deep playoff run, uh, just considering how much they've invested, how, where things are at. Uh, there's a lot of risk, obviously, in the rotation, something like that. But if they can get the best possible scenarios out of those guys, like you can envision a scenario where this plays out the way the Dodgers had envisioned. And when I look at the rotation, I actually feel pretty good about the Dodgers in 2025 when you have Walker Bueller with a, a full season under his belt after the Tommy John with Shohei Otani back in your rotation. I don't know how great I feel about the Dodgers rotation for 2024, though. Is that something that you feel like maybe a, a legitimate concern among this team, knowing I think for so many it is championship or bust for the Blue? It's definitely something you can raise your eyebrow at a little bit for a couple of these scenarios. And then, obviously, just to go back to your earlier point, Bueller, I think, is free agent after this year. So but he's in a spot where he's having a delayed start to the season. Uh, Tyler Glass now is having is coming off a career high in innings. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is obviously the talent and stuff is there. We saw that yesterday. I don't think the question is whether or not he'll be successful day one. It's just a matter of what's he going to look like in August and September when he's sort of pitching on a regular schedule as opposed to once a week, how he can survive the full season that way. And obviously, you have other stuff like Dustin May and Clint Kershaw, guys who you're hoping are back in the season, but even then, they're coming off major uh, injuries, and James Paxson has an injury concern. So there are a lot of scenarios where this turns out to be a, like a sort of good scenario where you have three frontline starters ready to start games one, two, and three in the postseason. And there's also scenarios where, sort of like last season, where there's just a lot of injuries, and you're relying a lot on young and unproven guys. So, yeah, I think that's sort of the area of the roster that might determine how just how far the Dodgers are able to go this year. It's a matter of how healthy and how productive this pitching staff that has a lot of upside can be.
We're talking with Fabian Ardaio, who covers the Dodgers for The Athletic. And a really interesting perspective Fabian has. Covered Shohei uh, when he was on the Angels and now is with Shohei again with the Dodgers. And, and also now seeing Yashinobu Yamamoto make his first impressions on the major leagues. You saw him pitch for the first time in a Cactus League game a couple of days ago. I guess it was yesterday. What do you think of Yamamoto so far? And, I mean, I, I know it's hard to take much out of a spring training start, but uh, was there anything that, that maybe had you raising some eyebrows, either good or bad, about Yamamoto? I mean, it's fascinating just watching him go about his business this spring. She's considering you've heard so much about the unorthodox training methods and all that sort of stuff. It is still incredible to me to see him put up, like, put up that kind of velocity with that kind of frame without like really lifting weights or anything like that. The way he's able to control his body He's impressive, and I think that's the big thing that sort of stood out to me. The stuff is ridiculous. I think it, the big thing going forward is sort of like when we touch him off at the beginning is uh, how long can he sort of get into the season before he maybe hits a wall? Because he's used to pitching once a week. Now the Dodgers are probably have more on a more regular pitching schedule. Uh, so is he going to hit a wall? And if so, how like does he push through on the other side? Is there injury concern at that point? Uh, so that'll be the interesting thing to see is where Young Moto is at close to mid-season towards the end of the season. Just from a, a big-picture perspective, I just I don't think that there is a team more interesting than the Dodgers coming into this year with the lack of postseason success, with the money spent, with the names that they have in tow. Like, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, as great as they are, now that the help comes from Shohei Otani, I would love to know what maybe the clubhouse dynamic is like with the Dodgers having, just on a personal level, having seen the dynamic with Shohei in the Angels clubhouse for so many years, I would love to know maybe what you've seen with the Dodgers clubhouse dynamic with all of these superstar players around him. And, and there, there's big names left and right in there. Yeah, I think there's, if there's one thing that sort of helps the Dodgers in that case, this isn't the first time they're doing this. Obviously, they haven't had a star quite to Otani's magnitude, but like, they brought in stars before, and like they brought in like Max Scherzer in years past, brought in some big names, and they've done a really good job of integrating them. Obviously, there's cultural aspects to it. There's also parts of, obviously, Otani's going to draw a lot more media uh, than your average superstar will. But uh, I think it's something that, as the season progresses, we'll sort of see how that develops. But I think, in a lot of ways, last year it sort of became Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts' clubhouse, or just with some of the previous departures and stuff like that. They are still important voices in that room. And I don't think uh, Shohei Otani's arrival necessarily changes that all that much. But it's interesting to see. Like, I think you're starting to see a little bit of a relationship develop with Otani and some of the guys, like guys like Teotihuacan Hernandez, who's gotten pretty close to. Uh, you sort of saw the other day when uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto was coming off the mound, throughout how many outs there were, so he's batching them there. Uh, it seems like he's fitting in well. Uh, and that he's sort of developing those relationships, but I don't think he necessarily has to feel the pressure to like jump in right away and have it be his room necessarily. It's 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 really interesting to see what's going on there. And, and then again, like this this marriage announcement just out of left field. I'm, I mean, it's it's hard yeah. to it, it's it just speaks to I think how little we know about Shohei. Do you feel like? I mean, and part of your job, Bobby, is to learn as much as you can about this guy. How much of a challenge is it to cover a player like Otani with the amount of attention that's on him, with the uh, interest both here and abroad? Uh, what, what, what's that challenge like uh, from you know being a reporter like yourself? It's interesting because also you have to like, write around him a lot just because he doesn't talk every single day. Uh, I think 
most guys, like, not every guy is at their locker every single day, but if they are at their locker, you can sort of go up and approach them. You can find ways to be creative about it. With Italian, there's so much of a crush of media attention that he doesn't talk all that often. That's it. To find stuff that's unique, it's interesting. Like, this week, for example, the fact that he, like, had a first baseman's mitt and outfielder's mitt in his locker uh, was a huge story. Uh, just because, obviously, he's the guy who's coming off Tommy John surgery. It's the way they want to keep him active. So, like, that was stuff that's interesting. All these little nuggets and stuff like that that we can get are really compelling because he's such a compelling figure in the sport. Finding out his dog's name. I just, I'll never forget how big of a story that was. It was to find out the dog's name. It's incredible. Anything that is Otani related is always massive. Fabian Ardaya does an outstanding job covering the Dodgers for the athletic. Fabian, thanks for being with us today. Of course, anytime. All right, there he goes. That's Fabian Ardaya of the athletic. I, I just find that this Dodgers team is so interesting to me. And I don't know that they're necessarily even the front runner. In the National League. And you're probably thinking, well, you're crazy for saying that. Well, no, no. I mean, the Dodgers have remarkable talent. But, like, have we all forgotten how good the Atlanta Braves are? Like, Atlanta is absolutely loaded. And in so many ways, like, the way I see it, I see the Dodgers as the sizzle. I see the Braves as the steak. I think that is substance. I mean, you have Ronald Acuna, who was the MVP last year. You know, you have Matt Olson, who finished fourth in MVP voting. Austin Riley, seventh in MVP voting. And for all the questions that people have right now about the Dodgers rotation, I know that there are some that say, well, wait a minute. The Braves rotation wasn't all that great last year, just a little bit above league average. But three of their five starters down the stretch were 24 years old last year. Spencer Strider is the next big thing when it comes to pitching. He's 24. Maybe he's 25 now. 24 last season. He won 20 games. I mean, Spencer Strider is legit. The Braves are legit. That team has proven success in the postseason. The Dodgers don't. Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts went 1-for-21 in that Arizona Diamondbacks series. Shohei Otani has never been to the playoffs. Obviously, neither has Yamamoto. Glasnow in the postseason, not very good. 2-6 and with an ERA of 5.72. I bet you didn't know that. I bet you didn't know that Tyler Glasnow, who's the big name that comes in, has had... Worse playoff numbers than Clayton Kershaw, who's gotten crushed for his whole career for not being able to have the postseason success. I think this Dodgers team is interesting. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this coming up in our final hour here on this Thursday, February the 29th. It's a leap day on a leap year. Well, we're taking a leap with saying the Braves are better than the Dodgers this year. We'll get deeper into that coming up in just a little bit. Plus, LeBron had a huge night last night. His first big act as a Laker. Yeah, just his first. I'll explain coming up in just a bit. My name is Trent Rush, sitting in for Jim Rome today. 